African Dialogue, looking at different events in depth, discussing a variety of issues. What we see here is a clear violation of one, the rights to privacy of Tiwonge and uh, Stephen. The position of Greenpeace is that it's been a disappointing meeting. Thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Welcome to our one-hour program where we will look at one big topic of the day. Well, uh, today we'll be looking at, uh, really looking at reparations on the continent. We know there is a lot of issues happening in that regard, especially between various borders. And uh, really looking at especially the reparation system in Tanzania. That's what we'll be focusing on today. Good news for listeners in America. You can now listen to Channel Africa by phoning 605-47-1711. So, if you're a Channel Africa listener in America, simply dial 605-47-1711. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Well, thank you for joining us right here on Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Remember, we are on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31-meter band to Southern Africa. That's our service into the continent. We're also on DSTV on Channel 802 on the audio bouquet, and you can also join us online on our website. Not forgetting uh, that we've got that Channel Africa mobile app that you can find on Google Play. Well, today we're going to be looking at a very interesting story, one that is not only just uh, really focused on one country but you can broaden the discussion and look at this issue of reparations from a very comprehensive African perspective but we look at the story because recently the Tanzanian government is considering legal action to force former colonizer Germany to pay reparations and this is for alleged atrocities committed what they say over a century ago Uh, the government is said to seek compensation over a Tens of thousands of people who were allegedly starved, tortured and killed by German forces while trying to put down rebellion tribes. Uh, So it's a very interesting story. We know that other countries that uh, have pursued this uh, include countries such as Namibia as well, who've pursued the issue of reparations from their former colonial powers. Well, to look at the story from a very much uh, reparation broad perspective, we joined on the line by Malet Gios who is uh, the chairperson of uh, the Jubilee South Africa. And also we have on the line uh, Zola Valashia, who's also a campaign manager at Corruption Watch and founder of Debate Africa. Let me start with you, Malet Giyose, in terms of let's describe for our uh, listeners what do we mean when we're talking about reparations overall. Sometimes the word can become very complex and misunderstood. Uh, what, what, how can we define this thing of reparation that particular term uh, reparations is actually uh, uh, an, an economic historical notion uh, 
long historical background. Um, you know, usually um, in times of war, a victorious nation uh, would, at the end of the war, mm. put out a deal of reparations to the defeated nation mm. and say, look, uh, during the war, we lost so much, and uh, therefore, we would like you to recompense us to the degree that we lost during the war. Now, that's a very crude, uh, uh, you know, conception of reparation, which is applicable mm. in cases of imperialist war or uh, wars in general. But now, uh, we are not talking about that now. We are talking about, uh, uh, I mean, what may be called a realistic understanding of the operation, which means that it is, it is the duty of he uh, who put us into a terrible situation now to put us back where we would have been mm. had we not suffered at his, at his hand previously. Mm. I think that is uh, a must, must a more strict or a much stricter uh, view of reparations which is uh, bound by law mm. during our time. Well, we know that uh, the whole decolonization process has been one that is being long overdue and it's still an issue where we are rediscovering ourselves as a continent. I want to move on to you, Zola Valashia, uh, from Corruption Watch and also from Debate Africa. Uh, where are we as the continent when it comes to this reparation program? We're seeing this issue of Tanzania considering legal action. I'm sure that they're not the first, as we know that Namibia also has pursued uh, these kinds of uh, methods of reparation alongside Kenya. How has this program of reparation been for the continent historically, or is it something that we're starting very fresh and we're looking at it from a different perspective now, Zola? Well, actually, it's a little bit of a tricky issue, and Mm. uh, not to be long-winded, but the idea of reparations speaks to two very important components. And the first component above, you know, making actual payments or any sort of material or financial compensation, but there is a very strong moral obligation that precedes this. Mm-hmm. And what this means then is that the, 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 the party must be willing to acknowledge and accept guilt and then act on it. For me, politically speaking and historically, looking at cases that have been made for reparations, whether it's reparations for slavery or for decolonization purposes, that's where the backlog lies. Politically and culturally, a lot of the former oppressors and a lot lot of the perpetrators refuse to acknowledge the guilt because it's a political loss they cannot take. And it makes it difficult now to continually engage in the case for reparations, especially for African case, because it's hard to get uh, some of these nations to say, yes, we did this, yes, we apologize, and yes, we will make amends. A good example, and actually quite an interesting example, is the case of Germany, because Germany has historically led the idea of reconciliation and taking ownership for your past trustees as well. So in terms of the, the, the groups of people we're talking about, that is the former powers and perpetrators, 
Germany is probably the one that, that is most likely going to at least look at the paper, but we don't know how far that's going to extend for them as well. The relationship between Kenya and Germans uh, historically isn't one that's very popularized, mm. but it's also it seems now that reparations have been called for specific acts, moreover a, a, a comprehensive act speaking so. directly into the idea of decolonization, and that's why I find it slightly problematic. How has the program been, uh, let me come back to you, my lady, in terms of us looking into this reparation program as a continent, are we behind? Did we fast forward very quickly uh, during the decolonization period? Uh, where are we currently right now as a continent? I don't think that we have advanced much as a continent. Uh, let's just uh, go back to 1999. Uh, the uh, the African you know committee on on colonialism. Uh, I think after a big argument, uh, they were able finally to put out a very modest sum of money uh, to say that uh, uh, you know Africa would have to be uh, compensated in the amount of uh, 27 billion pounds sterling. Mm. Uh, for losses that Africa has endured. Now, that's a very modest um, uh, reparation sum, mm-hmm. which was put up uh, by that committee. But even so, as Zola indicates, uh, you know, the uh, colon- colonial powers have been completely unprepared to look at the question of paying reparations. Rather, what they wanted to do was to look for political solutions um, uh, along some some parallel vector. You know, say, look, uh, what we will consider, we should consider really, is the question of independence. And we give you an opportunity to run your own government as an independent government and so on. But even that government is not supported and propped up by means of a fund of money. Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a reparation fund, uh, similar to what really, let me say, uh, which uh, morally is owed by the imperialist uh, government to the mm-hmm. colonial people. Now, I think that, uh, I mean, I, I myself think that uh, we're falling into a trap. Uh, and the trap is, is the trap of independence. Uh, justly, we need to be. We need to be independent. We need uh, liberation. We need to be free. Uh, that, that's uh, our right. Uh, but at the same time, that right should not have been given to us. Uh, you know, as a way of running away from, from liberation. It should. There should have been a component uh, attached to independence uh, that went in the manner of the liberations bill. That has always been missing. Mm. Well, I'm going to take a quick break and then we're going to explore some of those particular areas, especially that big question that you're both highlighting. How far back do you actually go in terms of looking at the injustices imposed on uh, the African continent, especially uh, through the colonization period? You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You're with me, Benjamin Moshatama, right here on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 30 one meter band to southern africa not
not alone on the program. I'm joined on the line by Malet Giyose, who is the chairman of the Jubilee South Africa, and Zola Valashia, who's also with us on our program, campaign manager at Corruption Watch and founder of Debate Africa. We're having Zola once again on our program. I remember we've had him before on our program. But we're going to take a quick break, and then we're going to come back to this big discussion around uh, reparations on the continent of Africa. Change your game. your game. Be the voice of young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Your game. A program that promotes open discussion. Change your game. We bring social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the global entrepreneurship ecosystem. Our mission is to produce relevant and vibrant content and conduct interviews with dynamic stakeholders within the African entrepreneurial ecosystem that informs educates and entertains and empowers young African entrepreneurs. Change your game. Change your game. Empowering the next generation of outstanding African entrepreneurs. Tune in on Fridays, 1000 hours to 10.45 a.m. Central African time. And on Saturdays, 1300 hours to 1400 hours Central African time. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. You're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you for joining me, Benjamin Mushatama, right here on our program, African Dialogue. And at the time right now, it's almost 20 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Uh, thank you for joining us on DSTV. Remember, we're on Channel 802 there on the audio bouquet and on shortwave, we're on the frequency 9625 kilohertz on the 31 meter band to Southern Africa. Uh, today, we're speaking about reparations after we've seen. Uh, the consideration from the Tanzanian uh, government to actually uh, come up with a legal case uh, to force uh, their former colonizer Germany to pay reparations for alleged atrocities. Joining us on the program is Malet Goyose, who is uh, chairman of the Jubilee South Africa, and Zola Valashia, who is joining us from Corruption Watch, and also he is the founder of Debate Africa. Uh, let's come. Let's come to you, Zola, with some of the assessments made by Malet Giyose looking very much deeply into the 1999 African World Reparations Truth Commission in Accra and also the fact that uh, that 700 trillion US dollars was actually not really much to uh, that degree of amounting uh, to really the cause of what has happened to the continent historically uh, looking at this particular issue of reparations, doesn't it make it more complex, especially looking at some of the atrocities on the continent, that it's difficult to pin down how far back you can go to seek reparations for specific countries? Or do you look at it from a continental perspective? Sometimes that's very tricky, isn't it, Zola? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It's so difficult to exactly quantify and account for exactly how much damage colonialization did, how much damage slavery did, and all the subsequent consequences of being a state that was once colonized by a power. So I even find the number itself quite arbitrary. But even if we accept that, the question as to whether 
does reparations have to take this particular form, that is to say money, is that the best way and is that the only way it should should be done? Mm. I mean, it can address quite a few problems, even though I don't think it can address issues of development, etc. I think maybe we're only talking to the material aspect that damaged the African state, but we're not looking into the process of dehumanization, mm. of cultural degradation, mm. of loss of identity that those processes actually did. And those are the things that are quite valuable in some societies. I mean, economically, I think we'll, whether we do trade with China or however, it's something we can work out for ourselves. So when we ask about reparations, I think it's quite important to specify the nature and the purposes of what kind of reparations we're talking about here. And one of the ways we should be able to do that is not entirely rely on an arbitrary figure of 777 trillion US dollars to think that's going to solve uh, you know, Africans' issues. So I'm very wary about that approach in general. Malad, mm. uh, let me come to you. Zola introducing a, a, a greater spectrum to actually uh, the suffering itself, giving it multi-layered di- di- dimensions there in terms of the cost itself. Your thoughts around those aspects? Yes, I agree. I agree with Zola altogether. In fact, I would wish to make an addition to some of the things that he has put on the table. Uh, I think the beginning uh, of this of this argument has to start with you know with slave trade, and slave trade on its on its own is a very complex affair because it must look at the communities from which slaves are drawn in Africa, and historically try to uh, project what would have been the contribution of the uh, you know the enslaved you know, communities and members of society uh, if they had been allowed to remain part and parcel of their, of their societies and their communities throughout history. Then you look at how many of them died in the Middle Passage. Mm. How many of them died in America mm. when they got there? Mm. Mm. You know, all of those things, you take them into, the, into account. But there are other things as well. There are sectors which are environmental, uh, we have, you know, we hardly have looked at, at, at those things. Uh, that uh, uh, Afghan Commission did not do that at all. Now, I mean, I think, therefore, I mean, I, this is the way in which I would, I, I mean, I agree with Zola. And I would imagine if Tanzania today is positing uh, a discussion with the Germans because of uh, the atrocities they, com- they committed, uh, you know, in the war against, against Tanganyika. Uh, now, uh, I mean, I think as a general as a proposition, mm-hmm. this is a good thing. This is, this is, this is a good idea uh, that they should open that discussion. Uh, as a matter of fact, Tanzania should not open that discussion purely with the Germans. Given the fact that Tanzania subsequently was passed on as loot to the British, and the British themselves may not have been responsible for particular atrocities of that kind, but they are responsible for other types of loot in, in, in that country mm-hmm. before the country became independent. Mm-hmm. 
And those also in turn can be classified and put together into a general deal. Now, uh, this is becoming interesting because you see, if that discussion is allowed to happen, the Germans are said to look at that discussion as well as the English uh, upset as well to join the, the Germans uh, at the table and they look at the crimes of each of these nations in that particular nation. Then, of course, this raises a much more fundamental argument on a continental scale because other nations have no reason to forget what happened to themselves in the course of their, uh, uh, you know, of, of the wars of conquest against themselves, uh, how they were defeated, how their societies were pillaged, mm -hmm. and in fact, the problem becomes even more complex when you look at the economic organizations mm -hmm. that were built in Africa, uh, you know, uh, you know, for the peoples. Uh, of enslaving Africa in, in, in a modern sense. Now, we should not take out of the picture uh, the further losses which have suffered by this continent uh, in the modern period mm -hmm. uh, from the operations of uh, foreign corporations in, you know, on, on the continent. I mean, apart from the nations of the West mm -hmm. or of the North. Uh, but the corporations that came from those countries, uh, which were established here, what they what, what they've done historically. So, the particulars are, are are varied, interesting, but at the same time, they raise uh, a specter that should be of great interest to African scholars and thinkers. Mm. Coming back to you, Zola. There is a kind of fragmentation in terms of uh, the, you know, holding to account that particular process, who is going to embark on that particular pursuit. Because right now there have been fragmented groups actually seeking for reparations. We know that the most popular one were actually the Jamaicans who were actually asking for reparations from the Europeans yeah. and they kept on uh, denying that. I uh, no, no, that uh, in 2006 yeah. uh, Prime Minister of uh, Britain, Tony Blair, made a partial apology for Britain's role in the yeah, African yeah. Uh, slavery trade. But shouldn't we see actually yeah. more regional blocks taking ownership of this or organizations such as uh, the African Union actually taking a stand and approaching their other uh, counterparts yeah. such as the European Union and establishments in uh, uh, the Americas? Well, that's actually quite an important question. And it's a question that's difficult to answer because as you rightly point out, do we take a unified Africa approach, set up some sort of African development bank into which these reparations would be paid into to directly contribute to what African economy needs? Or does every nation have an identity and therefore an individual experience with regards to a particular colonial or slavery experience and thus should have the right to claim based on that experience and not forego it to 
some overall grand picture of African unity and development. And I think the latter, in terms of answering your question that you asked earlier, how far has Africa come, I think the latter has shown much more progress. The examples that you pointed out, although unsuccessful, were examples of individual groups or nations taking up their own experience or their own harm for a claim. But the best example I think we get now from Kenya was when the British government paid the compensation out to Kenyan victims of, uh, of atrocities mm-hmm. carried out by uh, British like colonial um, officers. Mm-hmm. And there was a case that happened, there was a direct link between the victim and the perpetrators, and there was an acknowledgement of guilt, and there was also ultimately a payout to the individual families, etc. This is the best and how the furthest we've come with regards to claims for reparations for acts directly linked to a former colonial state under a colonial rule, etc. So if if I had to make the option between the two, I would rather go for the smaller groups, not only because it reflects directly their own pain that they're felt and individuals can have a stake to that, but also in terms of precedent that's been set via law, by international law, this becomes a stronger basis for individuals to claim as opposed to trying to, you know, consolidate all of Africa's claims, all of black people's claims, all of slavery's claims, and try to put them in one giant pot and say, here's your 77 um, trillion <laughs> obligation yeah. to the West, yeah. right? So I think it's quite important that individuals can make their own claims. Malat, your thoughts? Do you think uh, it should, it can be also handled in a different way, or do you agree with Zola? Um, let me say, I would, I would partially agree with Zola. I would agree with him partially, uh, to the extent that uh, uh, I mean, I don't think that uh, we have a reason to uh, say that uh, reparations should, should should not, compensation should not be paid to individuals, maybe even to specific communities. Uh, where it is possible uh, to clarify these and put them on, on, you know, on the table as clear instances which can be proved. But I think, unfortunately, history is very complex. And the uh, incident of historical events has been far too comprehensive all over the world for us to be able uh, to do uh, that piecemeal uh, settlement of these things now. I think we should accept the fact that we now live in a united world, in a world where there are, you know, uh, the, the economy itself has become a world economy, and uh, there has been a connection of the economies of the countries of the south to the economies of the countries of the north. And uh, as a matter of fact, we have been united by a distinctive system of economics uh, that brings us all together. Now, under those circumstances, I think it, I, I think it is also, in addition, necessary mm-hmm. uh, that there should be a commission that deals with this problem. And... Uh, uh, I think it should go a lot, a lot uh, further than what was done in the 1999 Commission. Uh, it should be a lot more specific uh, in, the, in relation to, uh, you know, communities, 
countries, peoples, and so on. And uh, and 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 I think that uh, when that happens, I think uh, there should also be a way of looking at this thing in terms of a general development program uh, for uh, the countries of the mm-hmm. south mm-hmm. and the countries of the north. Uh, there should be a way of uh, uh, delineating mm-hmm. uh, the extent to which the north has been guilty of pillaging uh, from the south. And therefore, uh, the, you know, the losses which have suffered by southern nations. Now, uh, I think that then, if we do that, uh, we should be able, uh, in such a commission, uh, to get a comprehensive settlement, in addition to the compensation which has been done piecemeal to certain individuals and communities. Mm, well, we're going to take a quick break and then we're going to wrap it after this. Uh, we are joined on the line by Malet Giosi, who is joining us uh, uh, on the line. Uh, he's the chairperson of Jubilee South Africa. And we've got uh, Zola Valashia also on the line. Uh, he is a campaign manager at Corruption Watch. We're going to take a quick break. It's 35 minutes past 11 o'clock Central African time. Let's wrap it up, uh, wrap it up uh, rather after this. Agro Africa. Hello. From the first Wednesday of this month, Agro Africa will be coming to you at 9.20 a.m. Central African Time and on Saturdays at 10 a.m. Central African Time. Tune in to Agro Africa and listen to stories about agriculture and its development in the African continent. We are on shortwave, internet live streaming, and DSTV audio bouquet channel 802. Agro Africa, bringing agriculture to the comfort of your home. Agro Africa. Well, you're listening to Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. Thank you for joining us right here on our program, African Dialogue. Uh, This is uh, where you can actually, uh, from Monday to Thursday, listen to the big uh, subject matters on the continent of Africa. Today, we're focusing on this uh, new uh, development when it comes to reparations on the continent with Tanzania seeking German reparations over colonial acts. And uh, we've been having a great discussion with the two great experts on the Malet Giose is joining us. He is the chairman of Jubilee South Africa. Zola Valashia is also joining us. He's associated with Corruption Watch and also founder of Debate Africa. And I want to come back to really, you know, the complexity of this particular topic. And uh, let me start this part of the conversation with continuing with you, Malet Giose, uh, before I move on to Zola. I know that uh, South Africa also had a very much difficult time when it had kind of an approach earlier in the early in the mid 2000s or early 2000s and uh, there was a kind of an apartheid lawsuit that was launched in New York and a government to actually distance itself from supporting the claims of multinational scientists uh, for having propped up the government and there was this kind of uh, critical aspects com- coming out saying that you know this could hinder South Africa's a bit to woo foreign in, in investments and th- that was a big story because sometimes countries do not pursue uh, this reparation program afraid of uh, the fact that it might deter uh, foreign investment. So it's a very complex situation indeed for most African countries. Well, uh, 
yes and no. Yeah. Uh, actually, I think in South Africa, uh, an opportunity was lost in this country. And I, and I think, ironically, uh, the actor who lost us the opportunity was none other than Nelson Mandela. Uh, Nelson Mandela came onto the stage of history uh, after he came out, came out of jail uh, with a big amount, a great amount of moral authority. Uh, I think not only the South Africans and the British, including, I mean, even the Americans, mm. uh, you know, literally a great many governments in the world were prepared to uh, countenance and, uh, and agree to the fact that they had done a lot of moral wrong, a lot of moral and brutal wrong, not just to this society, but in particular to this individual, whom they had kept in chains for over 27 years. Now, uh, that was the kind of moral, moral authority that Nelson uh, Mandela had when he came out. And I think that uh, he was far too soft uh, on the police workers of the world, uh, that uh, he was prepared uh, to limit his demands and to limit our demands just to the southern government. Uh, I think that uh, an opportunity was lost there. We can do nothing about it now. <laughs> but uh, uh, we had an, an, an opportunity just on the historical fate of one individual to have been able to carry mm. the reparations platform onto the world stage mm. and exact on its basis a big amount uh, of value for the people of South Africa. As a matter of fact, I think uh, the value would have been even been possible uh, to become an African phenomenon. And not purely a southern phenomenon. Mm -hmm. uh, but then we don't want to be unkind mm -hmm. uh, to a man who sacrificed so much uh, for the society and for the African people. Uh, we just look at this as a, a historians now and see so much more could have been done in history. Mm. Zola, as a, as a young person, I know you're much younger and maybe you have a different uh, view of uh, politics. Uh, your thoughts around, uh, you know, the the idea of Africans realizing their independence and uh, how they hold others accountable who are really responsible for their suppression for centuries and centuries. As a young person, do you think enough was done? There's a big example that uh, Malet Yose is highlighting. They're actually putting a big figure like Nelson Mandela into account. Um, what are your thoughts around those kind of, of, of sentiments as, as a young person? Yeah, um, as a young person, I'm, I'm caught between two political and historical worlds. I'm in a modern 21st century world, which ideas of cosmopolitan identity and, you know, making the world a better place and, you know, developing your own economy is at the forefront, you know, helping with education in this country and poverty, etc. But at the same time, I have the obligation passed on to me by my predecessors and those that came before us to also hold to account those who have wronged us in the past. Unfortunately, 
politically speaking, and you can check in our domestic politics, the immediate tax effect, the people we see who are poor in front of us now, the ones who can't go to higher education now, those immediate things are the ones we respond to most viscerally and therefore will most often speak about those things more than mm. we do about mm. historical injustices. And mm. that's the unique and difficult thing about the historical claims. Because some of these claims, mm. like the Namibian claim, for example, happened over a century ago. Right? So I've got a legal background, and I must emphasize that claim is only valuable when it's practically and pragmatically valuable. Mm. So that's why I will always say, just like the Namibians did, just like Tanzania has done, just like Kenya has done, individual experiences and cases are a lot more valuable and therefore I can take that to a court for a claim because it can mean something to my claim. Not to the fact that I can move Africa to a new place and I should throw all our claims in a giant pot for some sort of international institution to be able to decipher for me. That's why I completely agree with the approach that has been taken to advance calls for reparations by by Namibia as well, who has mm. had significant progress. I mean, mm. the very fact that Angela Merkel accepted and acknowledged the genocide that happened. It was a huge step for any form of colonial power to say, actually, yes, we did this, and we entirely regret it, and we're willing to talk about the modes in which we can compensate. And these are the same talks that um, Tanzania is trying to coax, and these are the same talks that Kenya won in their favor. So there's no reason why individuals um, formerly colonized or oppressed states shouldn't be able to, to do that. But from our perspective in South Africa, it becomes all the more difficult because we have uh, a legacy and a history of successful oppressors. So I think in terms of practical value, again, like I talked about on a legal sense, we most probably have to start with the immediate or rather latest in time perpetrators. And we're currently doing that with asking some of the social institutions that supported apartheid to compensate. Let's start there with the absence, etc. Then we go back a step further to say, okay, the former government and anyone who benefited from that, let's go there. And then if we see any further value or if there's enough political will to continue even further back, then we can come from a colonial roots as well. Mm. But in terms of value and mm. in terms of practical value of how we should take it as South Africa, I think we go to the latest or the most immediate, even if that includes um, the institutions that we subscribe to. Malat, mm. your final sentiments, just in 30 seconds, just give us your, your, your final views on this topic. Well, my, my, my general views on the question of reparations is to uh, affect that uh, you know, we are really discussing the results of imperialist policy. Imperialist policy which has been applied against Africa with exceptional brutality uh, by a group of uh, conquerors. Uh, I mean, we, 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 we can be regarded as, regarded as some kind of concept of Europe uh, added to it now in modern, in, in, in modern times uh, is the American phenomenon. Now, this is the exceptional uh, fate uh, which Africa has suffered from. And, and, and I think that uh, on that basis, 
we should not retreat from uh, mm-hmm. a position mm-hmm. which says that reparations is actually uh, the demand of the mm-hmm. African people. Mm-hmm. Reparations actually is the right of African people during our time. Well, that's where we have to leave it. Thank you to both of our guests for this very much insightful uh, conversation and indeed one that we need to continue to have on the continent. Thank you to Malik Giyose, who was our final uh, voice there on uh, this particular uh, discussion. He's the chairman of Jubilee South Africa. Thank you as well to Zola Valashia, who is joining us uh, uh, from Corruption Watch, a campaign manager there and also founder of Debate Africa. Thank you both for giving us your time. Thank you, sir. Thank you very much. Bye-bye. Well, that's how we wrap up the show today. Thank you for joining us. Thank you to both Figile and Wisani for those updates on the sports and economics news. Well, from me, Benjamin Mushatam, I'll be back with you uh, not tomorrow, but on Thursday. Until uh, then, uh, God bless.